0: Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started.
1: Hello again, Kitchen Table community, and welcome to episode 50, no, 85.
0: 85, you
2: transposed it there.
1: I I have (laughs) dyslexia with numbers, and I just proved it again. So let's try again. Hello, Kitchen Table community. <laughs> Welcome to episode 85. Right here at Kitchen Table Theology, I'm Pastor Jeff Cranston.
2: Or Pastor Cranston Jeff, if you're Yo, going to mix very it funny. up. Yeah, funny. <laughs> I'm Jen Denton. Huh? Or and Denton Jen. <laughs> Denton Jen. And here at Kitchen Table Theology, we exist to promote biblical theology, rooted and grounded in God's Word, the Bible. We agree with Dr. Dustin Bench, who said belief in Christian doctrines is what not doctrines? Christian okay, doctrines. I just yes. Want to are be we just going to pick at each other through this whole <laughs> thing? We believe that Christian doctrine is not just meant for mere education or the ability to argue with others, but to supremely delight in Christ. Whew, I wish everybody agreed That's with good. that thought. Yes. Yeah. And it's our hope and prayer that here at Kitchen Table Theology, we are aiding you in doing just that. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Pastor Jeff's most recent book, Your Greatest Adventure.
1: And by most recent, we mean last year.
2: Last year. That's still recent.
1: That's why I wrote recent. There you go.
2: (laughs) It makes a wonderful gift for a new believer and contains two chapters about the topics we've been discussing for the past three podcasts and includes this one, The Ordinances of the Church. We've already learned that they can also be called sacraments of the church, and they are baptism, which we covered in two of our previous podcasts, and today's topic, the Lord's Supper or Communion. But back to Pastor Jeff's latest book, Your Your Greatest greatest adventure. Adventure, you can head on over to Amazon and order that today. Pastor Jeff, two wonderful practices that Jesus left his church, baptism and communion. Yet there, as we've said before, is so much confusion and disagreement among Christians, even among Christians, regarding both.
1: Yes, and hello again, Kitchen Table Theology community. Yep, Jen, we're looking at both of these ordinances, which, as you just said, have engendered a lot of confusion and discord even among Christians, which is funny, not funny, because these are meant to unite and Mm -hmm. not divide. So on our last two podcasts, we addressed the topic of baptism. Now, whether we brought unity or discord, who knows, but we're hoping for (laughs) unity.
2: And today's topic will be communion, or as some people say, the Lord's Supper, or fancy talk, the Eucharist. Fancy talk. Uh, A number of images come to mind when you think about this topic, right?
1: But let me ask you, whenever you think (laughs) of communion, do you just think about grape juice?
2: Well, in recent years, due to the, and I will use this word very specifically, due to the contraptions (laughs) with which we here at our home church, Low Country Community Church in the wonderful town of Bluffton, South Carolina, use for our communion services. Do you want to explain what they are?
1: Uh, (laughs) The wafer and the cup are in the same contraption, as you called it.
2: So you very delicately... It's this little (laughs)
1: thin piece of clear, what... cellophane cellophane,
2: I guess over the top and you take that part out which
1: is extremely hard to get off for some people yes
2: and then there's the lid over the juice so it's
1: just like the little creamers that you get in a restaurant
2: that's exactly the size so that's the visual that we're trying to create now so imagine if the creamer had a teeny tiny little cookie on the top that you had to peel off of the top so between that image and then the image of our friend that we have in common who we will not embarrass by naming her out of spilling the communion elements over you before you went out.
1: We won't to, say her. We
2: won't say her name, but we her love Her initials are Jamie. <laughs> her initials are Jamie. Spilled grape juice
1: all down the front of my shirt 30 seconds before I was supposed to walk out and do communion. Yep. So I held my Bible up to my chest the entire time I had to do it.
2: <laughs> oh, goodness. So where, where were we? Back to communion. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, grape juice.
2: Yes, grape juice.
1: Yeah, that's that's how we were getting there. There's a really interesting story about grape juice connected with communion. And it's a true story. And it's about a young couple, and they were accepted by a missionary organization to go to Africa as missionaries. This is about, gosh, 100, 110 years ago, I think. And on the day they were to leave, they are on their way to the dock in New York City to take get on their ship and sail to Africa. And Either on the way there or at the dock, their doctor, the wife's doctor, met them there strongly advising them. And I think, again, that her going to Africa because her health was a little bit poorly already, Mm. he believed that the climate there and the diseases there would kill her. Mm. So they were heartbroken, but they decided not to go. They were confident in God's providential plan for their lives. So they went back home. And that young man then fully determined to make all the money he could to be used in sharing the gospel to the most far-reaching points on earth, like, at that time, like Africa. In 1869, so I was way off. It was 170 years ago, or whatever the math is. Our young missionary's father, who was a physician and dentist by profession, successfully pasteurized Concord grape juice to produce an unfermented sacramental wine for fellow parishioners at his church in Vineland, New Jersey. But where I'm from, we would say Vineland, 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 New Jersey. mm -hmm. He was a communion steward there, and he came up with a way to pasteurize and get to unfermented wine, grape juice. So the young man, our young missionary wannabe, he followed his father into dentistry and by the, you know, in 1869, to be a dentist was not what we know that a dentist is today. But... People
2: weren't necessarily going for their <laughs> six month <laughs> no, checkups. <and> he, whatnot.
1: <laughs> he went, yeah. You had a lot more work, I'm sure, yeah, back I'm then. I'm sure. But he later forsook the, the, the profession of dentistry because this juice making business started to take off and started to make a lot of money. And so he started running that. The grape juice had become a national favorite. Because thousands of people sampled it for the very first time at the Chicago World's Fair. Now, that young man who was the missionary wannabe was Dr. Charles E. Welch. Mm. Welch's grape juice. (laughs) The company he founded is now known, I looked it up online, Mm. Welch's National Grape Cooperative Association, the longest title in the world.
2: (laughs) Incorporated.
1: Uh, Incorporated. (laughs) And literally, they have given millions of dollars Mm to the work of missions around the globe. And if you go on their website, there's a space there, there's a, a, a link to their history, and it tells the story. They do not hide to their—I mean, I was grateful— they didn't hide the fact that they have been involved in missionary Christian missionary work for 150 years.
2: Mm-hmm. And we could totally get off topic just with that story, but the fact That's that, a great story. that God said, no, this is not what I want right. for you right now, yeah. but just wait. Yeah. For what I'm doing. That's amazing. And he's probably,
1: you know, by doing that, he impacted more lives with the gospel than he would have had he gone to Africa.
2: All right. Well, as much as I want to camp out here, we better get beyond grape juice. we we got to get beyond the grape juice, the bread, and the golden trays that many churches use. Oh, we had those with the... And then you know, with Sister Helen was passing it to you and her arthritis was acting up that day. You had to be real careful. You weren't going to wear, wear See, the... See, the church
1: I grew up in, women Ooh. were not allowed to pass out the communion elements. Oh,
2: well, that opens up a whole nother realm of controversy. There Maybe that'll
1: be in the second hundred <laughs> the podcast second episodes. <laughs> women in ministry. Let's just take on all the easy topics. Let's
2: take it. Well... For Boy, right we, now,
1: we you can tell we haven't done this in a while. We, I know we've gotten... we're
2: getting back in the in the groove. For right now, let's see what God wants to tell us about the ordinance of His church. So, allow me, please, to read a longer passage from Scripture, more than we usually read on a podcast, from the Apostle Paul, and we're going to read it today from a paraphrase version called the Message to give us kind of a fresh way of hearing some of these truths. In writing to the church at Corinth or the Corinthian church, Paul had this to say. I find that you bring your divisions to worship. You come together, and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring in a lot of food from the outside and make pigs of yourselves. (laughs) I like this version already. (laughs) Good old Paul. Some are left out and some go hungry. Others have to be carried out, too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. Don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I never would have believed you would stoop to this, and I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, or do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again after the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like a part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to the meal in holy awe. If you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you, even now, are listless and sick, and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the Master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. So, my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous with one another. If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich. (laughs) That could be
1: my life verse. (laughs)
2: On your tombstone, there it is. He went home and went had home a, sandwich. a sandwich. <laughs> but uh-uh. by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a family squabble. It is a spiritual meal, a love feast. Ooh, the message kind of hammered that home for us a little bit. So, Pastor Jeff, Paul certainly has some strong views on this. Whether you know from whatever translation you read it from where did these views come from? And for that matter, how did we get the Lord's Supper in the first place?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you read it out of that paraphrase, because that helps us to hear it a little bit differently. You know, that's really in our language, and the message is a paraphrase and not a translation. And I'm sure we've talked about that at some point in previous (laughs) early, early podcasts. But anyway— Where did it come from? Where did the Lord's Supper come from? Well, Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper at Passover, the Jewish Passover meal. And he transformed the Passover meal into something that celebrated in an infinitely greater way the greater deliverance of us over sin. The Passover celebrates Israel's deliverance out of Egyptian slavery. Jesus took that, upped it in a major way, gave us the Lord's Supper, and that celebrates an infinitely greater deliverance over sin and over us from from hell. When we remember His body and His blood, we remember the spiritual and the eternal redemption that He bought and paid for, for us, His loved one. So you read in there where Jesus says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So there we can see maybe the origin of why Paul felt so strongly on this topic. He ties it into the very sacrificial blood of, of Jesus, mm-hmm. and they were really messing that around. Let me tell you.
2: Okay, so there's that that original origin. How about going into the origin and practice of communion within early Christians in the early church? You know, some background of basically of how we received this ordinance now as believers. Yeah,
1: sure. In the book of Acts, Dr. Luke tells us that the four marks of daily living for the early Christians were this, um, the four things. This is in Acts 2. Number one, they were to be obedient to the teaching of the apostles. Number two, fellowship with one another. Number three, breaking of bread. And number four, prayer. So the breaking of bread included frequent celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, some scholars even believe that communion in some households was celebrated at every meal. Every time they ate, they broke a piece of bread, they drank the cup, and they remembered Christ's Mm. sacrifice. You know, I found something interesting, Jen. First century, Pliny, this guy named Pliny, was the governor of a region called Bithynia, and that was a Roman province. And the Christians in his province were being exterminated, being persecuted by the Roman government, So he wrote to the emperor, who at that time was Trajan, and he wanted to know why the Christians were being systematically exterminated. And we have his letter. And here's what he wrote. I have been trying to get all the information I could about them, about the Christians. I have even hired spies to profess to be Christians and be baptized in order that they may get into the Christian services without suspicion. Contrary to what I had supposed, I find that the Christians meet at the dead of night or at early morn, that they sing a hymn to Christ as God, that they read from their own sacred writings, and partake of a very simple meal consisting of bread and wine and water, and he says, the water added to the wine to dilute it in order that all may share. This is all I can find out except that they exhort each other to be subject to the government and to pray for all men, so there you see an extra biblical source describing communion in the early church. so the early church developed a special fellowship meal that became known as the love feast, and that was usually closed with the observance of the lord's supper so they in today's you know language, what we would say is they every time they met, they had a potluck. <laughs> and then at the close of the potluck they had communion together
2: if you had any room left you'd have to make room <laughs> yeah well some of these after potlucks the potluck. yeah. <laughs> after
1: the mac and cheese yep so that's what pliny was referring to and those times together in the church emphasized oneness that led very naturally into celebrating the unifying accomplishment of Jesus on the cross now going back to the church at corinth they had been following this custom But that meal had turned into this gluttonous, drunken, revelry kind of thing. I mean, it got really carnal. And when that's connected with the Lord's Supper of remembrance, that really becomes a stench in God's nostrils.
2: And Paul certainly didn't have any praise for that. Some would say he pinned their ears back. And for good reason. I know that in many Bible translations, Paul used the term the following directives, which meant command or to pass along to from one to another.
1: Yeah, he was issuing directives, like, here's what you're doing, and, and I'm telling you under the authority of the Lord Himself, this is what you need to do. And that term, the directives, the, the, the Greek word that Paul used there is pretty interesting. It was mainly used for the order given by a military commander and passed along or down the service lines to every one of the subordinates. So Paul's letting them know this is not his personal advice. He wants them to understand in no uncertain terms that what he's sharing with them is coming as divinely inspired instruction by and and from God. And he ties it in. They would have known by his language the military connotation. You know, when a commander gives the order, you you follow it. You know, you obey it, you you obey that order, or you're going to have some major consequences to deal with. Mm-hmm.
2: And it really jumped out to me that, you know, as he was telling the, the Corinthian church, or the, the Christians there in Corinth, that it would be better that they not do it at all, that they not observe the Lord's Supper at all, yeah, if they were going to do it the way they were going to do it. A little earlier
1: it. than where you started to read... I think he told them, he said, it's it's just better for y'all not to even do this, mm-hmm. because you messed it up so bad. And
2: it messed it up in so many ways. You know, they're yeah. mocking the poor members of the church, their selfish indulgence, they're ridiculing the Lord's death, and then scandalizing the church before the eyes of the world.
1: Yeah, and he calls them then to make it holy again, to sanctify it again. And he discusses their perversion of it. He discusses, and this is late, you know, we're talking about 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 here, folks the perversion of the, the Lord's Supper, the purpose that the Lord has for the Supper, and how you're to prepare your own heart for the Lord's Supper.
2: Wait, what were those three Ps again? <laughs> yeah, that's the, a good
1: sermon outline there. Was. I should do that. And
2: three, because you should only have three points. Three and points then, in a poem, and then you're out. And then, well, yeah. then you close your Bible, and then you tell them story. And then stories. they sang
1: yeah. a hymn and went out. <laughs> Uh, the perversion of the yes. Lord's Supper, the purpose, the for, purpose it, for it, and, and the preparation, preparation for it. Preparation. Yeah. So
2: why don't we tackle those three areas? Let's kind of outline it a little bit. We'll get our Roman numerals up. Number
1: one. <laughs> well, we're already running out of time, so we'll probably okay, we'll get get to— Okay, we'll, we'll get make to, it fast. We'll make it fast. How about starting us one.
2: out with how communion can be downgraded and even—this is a strong word—perversion or perverted?
1: Yeah, let's go back to some basics here. And We learned this when we studied the doctrine of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, and— Episodes 61 to 66. The word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, and it means an assembly or called out ones. And the word is never used as a building, it's never used for a meeting place. It's always used of people, believers. So apparently, whenever and wherever the Corinthian church met, they bickered, they argued, they did not get along. Paul said he had heard of divisions among them. And the word divisions that he uses comes from the Greek word schismata, which we get our word schism. And it literally literally refers to cutting something or tearing at something. So they couldn't agree on anything. They They didn't try to even serve one another. They tore their fellowship apart. So instead of sharing the love of Christ out of a heart of love, out of unity, out of fellowship, they spent their time as you said, selfishly indulging themselves, arguing, disputing. And Paul may have been hearing these things second or third hand. And in verse 18 of First Corinthians 11, he says, I hear that these things are happening. So he wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so he said, you know, to some extent, I believe it, which mm-hmm. is probably pretty good. Whenever we hear second or third hand accounts, maybe don't believe it all. Mm-hmm. But to some extent, yeah, I believe that. There
2: could be a root of truth there. Yeah. So...
1: <laughs> You know, it wasn't hard for him to believe that, because earlier in that same letter, Paul spoke very pointedly about their divisions based on what we might call party loyalty. Some were some were loyal to him, some were loyal to Cephas, some were loyal to Apollos, all three leaders in the Church. Um,
2: so what you're saying is political division is not something new. <laughs> it's not something
1: new. You know what else they had going on? They were also divided socially— So the well-off members of the church brought food and ate it before the poorer members of the church could share in it. So it was like they would announce to the church, okay, we're going to meet at 3 o'clock. And then they would secretly announce to the more well-to-do members, we're going to meet at 2 o'clock. Oh,
2: goodness.
1: Come and bring all the good food, we'll eat it, and by the time the rest of them get here, it'll be gone. The
0: pre-potluck was what he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, (laughs)
1: that's what was happening. So uh, really a complete opposite from the Christians in Jerusalem that the Bible says committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to life together, the common meal, and the prayers. So here in Corinth, it was every man for himself. So any anyway, that all said, Paul's calling them to have some level of spiritual maturity here, and you can't make the Lord's Supper what you have turned it into. It cannot be that. That has to change.
2: So is there Scripture that is related to this?
1: Well. Yeah there there is he's calling them to maturity and uh, in 1 Corinthians 3 he says brothers and sisters in the past i couldn't talk to you as i talked to spiritual people so that tells you where they where they were i i had to talk to you as i would would to people without the spirit or or babies in Christ so he's saying i you know i couldn't even talk to you as spiritual people and to say i couldn't talk to you as, as i would talk to people with the holy spirit I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. wow.
2: So then we we kind of get some more Scripture analysis here where it seems like they really are walking in the flesh rather than in the Spirit.
1: They really were um, following their own wills instead of the will of Jesus. And, you know, d- division in a church is one of the first and surest signs of spiritual sickness. Dr. John MacArthur wrote, one of the first symptoms of worldliness and backsliding, often before it shows up in compromised doctrine or lifestyle, is dissension within a congregation. So factions aren't merely divisive, they are destructive. And initially, they reveal the strong, true character of the approved men and women in the church, the spiritual ones who are to be the leaders, but when left unchallenged, the divisive people will undermine any Christian group and can't be tolerated. Now, we've, we've kind of diverted away from the lord's supper but our main teaching passage in the bible in 1 corinthians 10:11 on the lord's supper is all in the context of this divisiveness mm-hmm. and so what the main idea is unity love fellowship togetherness those have to be the hallmarks every time we take the lord's supper together mm-hmm.
2: But in this case, that's not what they were doing. They weren't taking it together. They were indulging, you know, and making light of this sacrificial death of Christ, you know, that it's commanded by Christ to never apparently make or make an appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Just
1: just, uh, act it out. Yes. And they weren't even acting right. Uh, Mm -hmm. They weren't even trying to pretend, you Mm -hmm. know, and tragically, you know, the focal point for all that ungodly behavior. To go back to those three letter P points, mm-hmm. the perversion of it. Mm-hmm. That's all this ungodly behavior was focused or came out the most at the Lord's Supper. And Jesus, through Paul, emphatically says, This can't be. The main thing I want is for y'all to be unified, to love one another, to care for one another, to serve one another. And that is the attitude you're to bring when we gather for the, for communion.
2: Well, there's definitely a lot to dive into when it comes to this ordinance. Our next episode will be the second part on the same topic. And we're going to look at the meaning and significance of communion and how it's observed in various religious traditions. Well, once again, thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a moment and leave us a review. That way, more kitchen table theologians like you can discover us. It only takes a minute, and it makes a huge difference. Do you want to read
1: a review today? I would love for you to read a review, <laughs> yes.
2: Well, we have Sarah, and Sarah, it's Sarah 070909, if anyone wants to reach out to Sarah directly. As opposed to Sarah
1: 070910. <laughs> to, or yeah, whatever. Or, or it 08. Might,
2: I hope that's not her address, because that's a long one to write out. <laughs> Anyways, Sarah, thank you. She wrote a review and said, wow, Jen and Pastor Jeff really are taking their time to cover some in-depth subjects. Making it a kitchen table atmosphere is so awesome and so very approachable and friendly.
1: That's awesome. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Sarah. And Sarah, we hope you've done the same, and we want to encourage other people to recommend this podcast to their friends and family and do share it on social media.
1: And I think we think that you, Kitchen Table Theologian, are doing that because last month We had more downloads on our podcast than we've ever had in any previous month, and we've been doing this a year and a half now. So thank you very much for doing that.
2: Yes, thank you. And just a reminder, today's podcast was brought to you by Pastor Jeff's most recent book, Your Greatest Adventure. It, again, makes a wonderful gift for a new believer and contains two entire chapters on the very topics we've been covering here over our last series baptism and communion so head on over to amazon and add to cart today yeah, there you go <laughs> and as you, we leave you sound well versed in that I, I, well <laughs> i have yeah that's another topic for another day i heard
1: that two days in a row went by and you didn't receive an amazon package and the ups driver knocked on the door to see if you were all right he
2: wanted to make sure i was okay between him and the fedex man that's kind of what it's been like Well, hey, again, in (laughs) case my husband's listening, let's get off of this topic. As we leave you today, we want to encourage you to always remember that the real power of theology is not just knowing it, but applying it.
0: You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at Jeff at LowCountryCC.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.